I'm so excited to have our guest, Aaron Byron, with us today. Thank you so much, Aaron, for being here. This, if you don't know us, this is the Bounce Back Stronger podcast. We explore ways to find peace and purpose after difficulty. And I'm your host, Donna Ferris, and this will be our first guest episode. And as a result, we have not just any guest, but one of my very favorite authors and teachers from yoga therapy training, Aaron Byron. A little bit about Aaron. She is a registered psychotherapist who has co-authored several books in the field of mental and physical health, including Yoga for the Creative Soul, one of my favorites. Erin is also the founder of Trauma Aware Certified Training and co-founder of Comprehensive Yoga Therapist Training. And when she's not swimming or playing clarinet, Erin offers professional education, clinical supervision, and therapy. And let me just say at the outset that I think you, Erin, have a unique ability to bring so many disciplines and modalities together to address mental health. From traditional psychotherapy to drilling down on religious and yoga philosophy to the energy impacts of mental health to the benefits of music and creativity. So I am so excited to have you here as my first guest. Thank you. Thank you so much, Donna. What an honor to be on the Bounce Back Stronger podcast. But as the first guest, I'm I'm over the moon. Any chance to speak with you is fantastic. Thank you. I feel the same way. I wanted to just start out, I, you have, as I mentioned before, you have so many different modalities and capabilities and experience, and I, there's just not enough of those words to express what you have. And I just thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about what you're seeing in your students and in your clients uh, after the pandemic. What is their biggest struggles bouncing back from that? Yeah, very, very humbling intro, Donna. And I I wind up with a diverse array of clients in some ways because of that diversity that I bring. I was really lucky to start, or incredibly unfortunate, depending on how you want to think of it, to start um, my own therapy quite young. So I had the chance to learn these things as part of my growing into an adult. And the pandemic, as we know, is an unprecedented time As a therapist, the themes might be expected or unexpected of what was coming to therapy. So, yes, certainly isolation, grief, loss, fear, uncertainty, and guilt. The people who were maybe more introverted, overscheduled, who didn't have enough time for self-reflection or self-care, they got more benefit out of the pandemic than perhaps the average person. And they lived with a lot of guilt about how they were in some way benefiting from something that was causing so much pain and harm in the world. So lots of different dimensions of how people were altered by that stretch of time. I think that's really insightful. The guilt aspect in particular, if I might drill a little bit more there, I I find that also in any kind of loss, there's a guilt feeling. And I was actually doing um, a grief workshop recently. And that was the thing that kept popping up. And I said, if you get one thing out of this workshop, please let go of guilt. You know, it is not helpful around loss. I saw that you were offering that. And I thought, what a lucky group to be going on a retreat with Donna Ferris, because you do have so much to offer. You spoke so eloquently about this in your book, We've Got to Stop Meeting Like This. And I know for me, guilt was one of the biggest things when I was uh, when I was 22, my boyfriend was murdered. And yeah. And uh, what struck me was just how terrible I felt about anything. I mean, first, of course, it was my fault that that happened. 
And isn't that our tendency? Because we're the mm-hmm. ones impacted by the loss. We make it about us. And that even that's some of the guilt. No, probably wasn't my fault. Probably wasn't much. Like if I'd been there, I don't think I would have been able to intervene and stop what was going on or treat anybody perfectly. Nope, none of us are going to treat our loved ones perfectly. We all have our bad days. We all have our tensions and conflicts. So guilt plays for many people, and for myself, I've seen it too, a huge role in the grieving process. And and yet, what what is the proverb, worry is wasteful, to think mm. about how how much we can tie ourselves up in knots with guilt and anxiety, and then limit our own grieving process, uh, slow down our journey towards acceptance because of that internal strife of which yeah, we, 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 we were different. Yeah, we were different. Are we pushing away the event even more because of that inner guilt and almost shame that we have around it when it's really not about us? I, and I think it's probably something to do with our psyche, right? We, we have to kind of make things about ourselves. It's our internal dialogue, but it's such a unhelpful feeling to, to feel guilty about it. I think um, I had a, a holistic practitioner tell me, and she, kept, and she, she actually kept asking me about um, when my fiance died, whether I felt guilty or not. And I would, I wouldn't cop to it. I, it. She had to keep at me. She had to really keep, I mean, God bless her. She had to keep at me until I finally admitted it. And that was probably the biggest part of the loss healing was letting go of that guilt and, and realizing, you know, that the person that I lost and that all of us have lost in many cases, never want us to feel the way we feel, you know, about that. So it, it was really helpful. And I, I, I say that to anybody who feels any kind of associated guilt around a loss. The person that you lost does not want you to feel that way. <laughs> they love you. They don't want you to feel that way. So anyway, I, ju- I, I just, you opened it up. And I, I just think it's such an important thing to say around this subject. Yes. And you're making a, a few really important points there. For, for one, it's easy enough for us to imagine our <laughs> our own exit from this planet and think of how we want to be celebrated and how we want our memories and the laughter to live on. And when we imagine our loved ones doing that to themselves, it feels yucky. Of course, they don't want that for us. And you also mentioned how it it gets in the way. It, it made me think of how sometimes that guilt is a tether. Like if I can hold on to this feeling, then I'm holding on to them when really it's in the releasing that, that the flood of joy and love, what, what does truly stay with us after a loss, can we can have access to that when we let the guilt go. A third thing you said that I wanted to mention was talking about, you, you said guilt and shame. And shame is old programming, old, old, old programming. And you see it in the hard wiring of the brain from how our behaviors were shaped from childhood. When we experience a loss, we grieve in parallel every other loss we've ever experienced. Mm. And wow. yeah, I'm very careful to remind clients of that. For one thing, this what might be a smaller loss for some people, they get very confused about why am I this upset about that person, for example, that I wasn't even close to. And I remind them, you are you are living through the loss of life. So every other life that you have lost is with you in this moment as you grieve. And the good news about that is that we process that in parallel as we grieve the present loss and grieve those past losses in parallel, we actually move through the phases of grief more completely. It, we become more skillful 
more adept at finding our way to acceptance and peace. And so that explains a lot of what we're feeling after the pandemic, right? That we we're going through all these emotions. And then for many, you know, we're put in situations where they were more isolated or less distractible, right? They weren't in at work or they weren't in different places where they might have been in social situations that distracted them. And then suddenly had to sit with all of this. It must be really difficult for, for so many people that you're seeing now. Yes. Yes. Um, and it being multidimensional and it being global and yet individual as well is really confusing for folks. How, how do I process an experience was, that was exactly the same and totally different as, as someone else's? What do I do with that? Absolutely. And then, like you said, for so many people, it was a pleasant experience to be, you know, without all of that stimulation and having to leave the, you know, the house or whatever and go to the office. So, yeah, I, I never really kind of touched in the guilt, but I definitely feel guilty about some of the positive things that happened to me during that time, which was so difficult for so many. Yeah. yeah. And and again, <laughs> what how does guilt serve us? What does what does guilt do to improve our lives? Conscience, sure. If we've made a mistake, guilt is healthy. Go apologize, mm. make amends, don't do it again. But to carry guilt only makes us sicker. Yeah. You know. Sicker. Yeah. Definitely. So uh, are there any tools that we should be thinking about coming out of the pandemic. And we have a lot of people that are trying to figure out how to kind of work their way out of what we went through and then are continuing to go through. I mean, it doesn't stop. And I think that's one of the things that I realized through yoga therapy training, partially because I was going through so many things at the time, but I was also exposed to all this philosophy that talked about life is like this. And we've got to figure out how to not let it drive us um, crazy and, and, you know, to, to unhappiness. So I guess, so what are the, some of the thoughts that you might have for, for folks that are going through this post pandemic time and, and facing other things like war and job losses and other things that are happening now that are so upsetting and that's not even a good enough word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it'll do. We all know what you mean by upsetting in terms of watching the many different facets of society and and the world that are that seemingly are crumbling around us. So yeah, the philosophy of impermanence and the philosophy of of inner balance while those things are happening. I like to remind myself when it feels all too much for me that I can only work from my corner of the world. I can only apply my skills and interests to the ability that I have. And I'm thinking of, you know, George Carlin has joked about this very thing. And um, many agencies also remind us that this is Dharma. This is our sacred purpose. When we look at where are we, what are we interested in, and what do we have to offer, we find ways that we can be active in making changes to improve our own lives and the lives of others and the condition of the planet. Join forces with others who are already doing that kind of work. But how do we have the bandwidth for that if we're struggling with mental health? The foundation of all of that is self-care. If our mental health feels like it is not balanced and stable, we're not mentally healthy, then we need to look at the thoughts that I am thinking, what are my daily routines, 
And where can I start? Because in this capacity, it is the small actions that become the sum total of our lives that make that huge difference in moving us towards mental health. This is so true. And I remember when I was going through yoga therapy training is I think the most important thing that really started to change my life is you asked us to write down 10 healthy self-care items. And I remember, and, and you said healthy, and I went, oh. And then I, and I think we had a discussion, I mean, even then or even later, like what is healthy? Changed my life quite a bit, I think, in, in how I thought about, A, even thought about self-care because I didn't think about it. And secondly, you know, sitting in front of a Netflix for two days is probably not great. Uh, drinking two bottles of wine probably is not great. Like like all the things that I was doing for self-care might not have been the best things for me. And that was really helpful to me. Do you have a few things on your self-care list that you would share maybe? Certainly. Yeah. And that activity is, I want to broaden our discussion on that activity actually of the 10 healthy things that we do to care for ourselves. My academic advisor in grad school said between the first and second session with your clients, have them come back to you with this list. And I added the healthy. She neglected to mention that one. So people were coming back, watch Netflix for two days, drink two bottles of wine. And I, it's not the list I'm looking for, I think. And as soon as I made, stipulated healthy, instead of coming back with 10 things, they would come back with two, two. I just finished a book called Safety First, which is about foundations in mental health recovery. We have to be safe first. Self-care has to be about self-regulation letting the brain and nervous system know we're no longer in danger. Even if it's only in this moment, right now, my home is safe. Right now, no one is abusing me. And train the body into that balance and regulation. And my editor said, well, how do they know what's healthy? How do they know? I had a client who was using cannabis products to help with anxiety and post-traumatic stress. And there is some literature about CBD, certainly, for for anxiety. This person, I don't think, was staying strictly with CBD. And I said, well, let's run a check. No, no, matter what, no matter what the internet says should be working for you, let's listen to your body and mind. How well do you sleep? How do you feel when you wake up? What are your automatic thoughts? How is your digestion? How well are you able to maintain routines that are important to you? And that person, and I'm not... I'm not, I don't have a, mm-hmm. I have a pony in this race. I'm not landing on either side of this fence. But for this individual, they realize, no, this is not effective for me. I don't sleep. I wake up worse. I am more prone to delusions and ruminations. I can't shake off the post-traumatic stress or self-loathing. So for that person, evaluating, some people say this is healthy and a medically approved intervention. But for me personally, this isn't working. And and that could be anything. That could be going for a walk. Have you have you seen that meme of the person all bundled up, stomping through a snowstorm? I'm going for a stupid walk for my stupid mental health. I'm not sure. It makes me laugh. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not sure that trudging for a half hour thinking that on repeat is going to help a person feel safe and regulated in their bodies. Agreed. But I think you'll, but sometimes starting out on the path, right, will get us to the other end of it. I think there's been many times where I've trudged out in the morning with my dog, where it, you know, I didn't start out with the best mental health, but 
but eventually I did. No, no, I think well, that's yeah, really and helpful. That's actually a point in that on the list of 10 things, maybe you don't always feel like the self-care is helping. So you go for your stupid walk for your stupid mental health and you get back and you're like, great. Now I feel exactly the same, only colder. <laughs> I'm in yeah. Canada, so that's the way it is for about you know, 11 months of the year. But remember, no, you did it. You won't feel the difference in your brain and nervous system at first. You will only notice the difference in small ways over mm. time. So every time we do something off that 10 things, 10 healthy ways we take care of ourselves, every time you do something, celebrate it. Even if you're just sarcastically saying, woohoo. I drank water before I got out of bed. <laughs> but yeah, woohoo. Your brain responds to woohoo. You get the dopamine whether you know you're getting it or not. Celebrate having done it. It matters. No, I really love that. Because I do think I do talk to people a lot about just doing it. And it's a practice, but you do have to give yourself a little star or something uh, to get started. And, and eventually it becomes something that you know you're going to do. You know, for me, it's pop out of a bed, cup of coffee, lemon, water, warm, and then meditation. And I don't, I try not to do anything with anybody, including my husband much, you know, until I do that meditation. I think that's very important because I want to be at my best and be my best person, best part of myself or version of myself. And that's the thing that has, has helped me do that. It, it makes me aware of when I'm outside of myself. And that's a big part of my self-care list. Uh, I think it's probably yours too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm big on stacking habits. So for mm. myself, it is wake up, read um read a sutra or like a yoga sutra right now i'm studying rumi it's just it's more at my alley so i'll read rumi and i'll memorize that passage and it's the only thing i'm allowed to think in the morning to for to do that mind balancing to absorb the deeper meaning of those uplifting spiritual concepts and uh and move a little bit and that's in part now some yoga stretching and some physiotherapy, physical therapy, just to keep the body mobile, healthy, strong, then the meditation, and then a writing practice, and then eating. And so stacking, stacking, stacking those healthy habits, especially first thing in the day, ensures, like you're saying, that we've set the tone and also that we can address what might be going out of balance. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like You can do things like around uh, brushing your teeth and doing something if you know you're going to brush your teeth every day, you can stretch while you're doing that. Same thing with like, if you know you're going to steep your tea, stretching while that does it, why that's happening. I'm a, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. And and listeners, if you don't know Rumi, um, R-U-M-I and just Google and there is uh, tons of wisdom. Uh, how long ago, you might know better than I do. How long ago is that uh, from? It's like BC, right? I think it's... I think it's 1200. Okay, 1200. The internet knows better than I do. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Chat GP is yeah. not at my fingertips right now. But uh, I, I remember when I first got into yoga training, somebody mentioned, it was Patty Diamondstone, which you know, um, mentioned to me, hey, by the way, uh, I'm taking this quote from Rumi. I'm like, Ru who? <laughs> so you, not everybody knows him. Um, but no, he it's... doesn't. And the first time I said it to my friend, she's like, Rumi. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying to me. R-U-M-I. And, and if you spell that out, like A-R-E-Y-O-U-A-M-I. Exactly. It's like, more... who's on first? <laughs> on... That's so yeah. funny. 
words and wisdom of, of Rumi. I highly recommend. And just to, to bring this back to where we are, finding others' words to keep our own minds in balance and uplifted also goes a long way in helping us cope and reprogram the things that we're talking about today. Yeah, I think knowing that it's, it's a great way to know you're not alone. And I, I love that it's so old because it's like nothing's really new. You know, <laughs> we're not unique here. I mean, I'm having the same feelings that somebody has had thousands and thousands of years ago. So I want to make sure that we have enough time. Let's talk a little bit about creativity. Your last book was Yoga for the Creative Soul. Um, I'm very excited about the new book, too, because I think you're hitting a, a point about hitting self-care early in the uh, loss process. But Let's talk about creativity, because I think that is something that is so very healing for people. And, you know, in loss, I found uh, that writing in particular brought me a lot of healing for a lot of reasons. But I might just give you a chance to talk about creativity in general and how it how it affects the psyche when we're going through loss. Mm-hmm. Yes, you'd mentioned earlier, even the lack of connection and feeling a lack of connection that when we create, we connect more deeply within ourselves and we're better able to feel connection. The parts of the, some of the parts of the brain associated with connection light up a bit more and it it really can bring us back to ourselves. What we know about creativity is that it helps us vent or release what could be pent up in us and especially things that are pent up that we're not aware of. We do a lot of our thinking verbally, which is great. Uh, We can process things deeply using our language and concepts. However, creative expression goes beyond the verbal. We can also use language to block our recovery, to block what we need to let go of for mental health. So just scribbling, um, putting on a song and moving. I know for myself, I would not call it dancing, whatever I'm, whatever flailing nonsense is happening in my world. But but my body gets to decide. The song says, do this. And so it does that. Some people will just hum a little tune or find words. Poetry still works, even though it's language, it's, it's lighting up differently because we're finding ways of working with metaphor and concepts. It doesn't have to be a big deal goes a long way. They've studied this again and again. It goes a long way for mental and physical health to be creative. Yeah, it's funny. I In my last retreat, I actually bought a tablecloth for Thanksgiving and I had a coloring, just put crayons out and markers out and they loved it. I just think it's it was such a good outlet for them because we were drilling down into writing about you know difficult times and it just gave them a chance to really relax a bit. And I think this is one of the things like, especially when you're just going through loss, things like that are very helpful. You know, it's not so difficult for your brain. It sometimes takes you back to times when you were more comfortable, maybe in childhood or, or where, where it was safe to color and that's a safe place. So anyway, I, I think I think creativity has been incredibly helpful. And I think that's a, a big gift that you that you gave us with the book, Yoga for a Creative Soul. They actually used one of the um, the exercises around the song that was that you hate and making them do the song that you hate. Because I think that's really good if you're working through a memoir, if you're writing for memoir, if you're if you're trying to get through a difficult time, being able to get through a song that you can hate and dancing to it is actually what the you know you end up doing in that exercise. Maybe talk a minute about how that works because I thought that was 
it worked very well for for folks in that in that I workshop. Think some of where I was coming from with that one. Now, for one thing, I'm a monkey, and for the people <laughs> who work with me, they get to know. I'll I'll sometimes just go in the opposite direction to what's expected, and that's another creative way of supporting resolution, of supporting balance and health. So that's part of where that came from was just to to poke at things in a different way. But it. If we are going to be balanced in our emotions, then we must find ways of tolerating things that we can't stand. The world is rough and (laughs) problematic. Uh, So let's take this into a smaller scale, something manageable, something that we can work with and play a little bit. Let's unpack it. Let's get to know ourselves a little more. And let's also draw upon resources, some of which we might not have known we even had. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I would find I, I, what I did, you know, one night at dinner is, is ask everybody to think up the song that they didn't like, which was also a great way to start conversation, by the way, because we all have very different views. And I think it's a great way to understand how different we all are and how we come at things so differently. And then I had them go through it and actually listen to them and, and learn how to tolerate it and learn how to find mechanisms to work through it. And I think it's really helpful, you know, as you said, for really anything in learning to tolerate things because we do have to tolerate things. And what I found over time too is that something some of the things I thought I had to tolerate were really something that I just needed to learn from in a different way. And getting to the other side of that, I there's so much joy. But you know, there's such a such a limit on our comfort zones, especially when we've you know had mental health struggles, um, like I have with anxiety in particular, you always want to create this comfort space, right? And but that's not where the joy really is, is sitting in that comfort zone. It's really in breaking through it. So that kind of exercise really, really was helpful for me. And I think it was helpful for those I've shared with. So thank you so much for it. My pleasure. Fantastic. It's it's like going for that, the example of the walk again, right? Yes. Like I think yeah. that I don't want to do this. I don't want to tolerate it. I don't want to push myself, but it's truly in the push that the brain, nervous system, our emotions, even our self-respect start to transform. And then we can look back on that and, and just feel so good about what we've done. Um, but it's hard. I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's anybody should feel badly for not wanting to go beyond their comfort zone. I think there's I think the self-care list that we talked about is really a good way to give us the, you know, the ability to to look at our comfort zones. If, if you don't feel taken care of and you're not taking care of your basic needs, uh, just it's really difficult to to think about uh, anything that's more difficult <laughs> There's an author, Stephanie Mines. She wrote a book called uh, Sexual Abuse, Sacred Wound. I'm not sure if it's still in print, but she said we need to know when to rest and when to stretch because stretching when rest is required will keep us dysregulated. That's right. That's that's some of why I like what you're saying a moment ago about the crayons. They're very non-threatening, and I Mm -hmm. do recommend crayons for my adult clients as a way of processing, especially people who think of expressive arts as making art. It is definitely not that. So use crayons like a three-year-old, use your non-dominant hand so you can't control what comes out of you and just let the body, the color, the movement on the page express whatever it wants to. Yeah. Breathe deeply and get yourself out of the way a little bit is a record. Yeah, the non-dominant hand is really helpful there. 
I, I, and I, I remember when we first did that, I was like, I was so resistant because it brings up so many things, you know, about having to be perfect and having to have it be pretty. And there's just so many things that it brings up that when you can start to use that non-dominant hand in that creative, free way, without expectations, it just, it's so freeing, but it takes a lot to just even get there. Indeed. Indeed, it does. There's so much, we could run the idea of letting go through our entire conversation today. That's right. That's right. And let it flow, right? That's the other piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So thinking about the last few few moments, I I did want to hit the holidays because this will drop November 30th, hopefully, if I get it all edited appropriately. And the holidays are just difficult for, for so many people. I mean, it's still difficult for me. I mean, I've had, you know, as many people have had a lot of loss and the holidays, they hit you. And I certainly tune up my self-care a lot at this time, but maybe if there's any, maybe words of wisdom or suggestions for people, you know, facing the holidays with some trepidation, if, if you could share that, that would be great. Certainly. And no wonder there's trepidation. So starting with validating ourselves, yep, this is a thing that is at play. I accept that it is at play and I'm going to do my best and maybe schedule more time for self-care if I can. When there's grief and loss, it's useful to create some kind of routine or tradition around honoring the lost one and remembering that they truly live on in our hearts, in our memories, and in the ways that we celebrate them and the relationship we had. So whether that is a playlist that they would have liked, a shirt that they bought you, a blanket you inherited, it could be anything, but draw the loved one nearer and whatever feelings come up around that, they're probably not gonna be comfortable at first. Grieve again. Grieve again. It is a learned skill to get through to acceptance. But on the other side of that crying jag or of screaming why to the heavens, on the other side of that are the memories, the joy and the connection, true, deep, genuine connection with that person. And many, many people acknowledge the way they actually feel the presence of that loved one. Some folks talk to the lost loved one throughout the course of every day and find solace in that. It's okay if you don't, but that is that is real for so many of us. And I want to talk about if there's strife in the family as well in the holidays, which is another kind of grief. Mm. If our family relationship has been disrupted, if there was abuse, if our loved ones don't see us, which is often the case, there can be a lot of projection in close relationships So the opportunity for us there is first and foremost, self-care. It's been a theme through the chat today because it is so important. It's essential. Without it, we're we're not going to get where we want to go. Mm Self-care must be present. And then self-protectiveness, right? Not defending ourselves. That just gives ammunition. Observing silence. Yoga talks about this. The first part of the first guideline is do no harm through action or word, or even thought to others or ourselves. And the second part of that first guideline is truthfulness. So some of keeping the relationship balanced is being truthful by observing silence. You need to validate yourself, tell yourself that validation, but you're not going to change anyone else's projections about you. And that's that's okay. Even that little distance of validating self 
builds us up, makes us feel safer, and genuinely keeps us safer because we're not giving ammunition to the other party. And thirdly, so self-care, observe silence, <laughs> breathe deeply instead, right? Relax, self-care in, in that silence. And thirdly is if you have the bandwidth for it to find the personal growth opportunity, why is this affecting me so much anyway? If they think I'm a liar, manipulative, selfish, you know, they don't like the way I eat, the way I move, the way I dress, the way I speak. Why is it a tender spot? What's missing inside of me? What do I need to feed myself so that they are not poking a tender button? How can I uninstall this button? And that might be something to take to a therapist or your friendship group, your 12-step program. That might not be one to work on by yourself, but I want to flag it because when we uninstall the button, they can lean on it as hard as they want and there's not going to be any alarms going off inside of you anymore. Yeah, I think I love that. Um, and just so you guys know, as we're closing up here, I, I will have all of Aaron's links uh, in the show notes. And actually at the bottom of, of my all of my episode notes is uh, access to different mental health resources, including calling 911 or going to an emergency center if you don't, if you're not able to find somebody. You know, always remember the suicide hotline is 988 in the US at least. Want to make sure you guys have these different access points because it's so important to have a therapist as you work through these items. I, I also think that it's helpful to have other uh, forms of, of holistic self-care and practitioners, but I too started therapy young and uh, it has been incredibly helpful. Any items that you want to share before we, we tie up? Hey. I'm really thankful for this opportunity, and I do encourage people to continually resource themselves. Read the read the nonfiction self-help books that are out there. Also, Donna, your memoir is a great example. I listen to a lot of autobiographies. They really support my mental health as I learn from what others have been through. So find what works for you. And then add that to your self-care list as well. You better believe that autobiographies of memoirs are on mine, in addition to dancing and scribbling and calling a friend and ordering Indian food. Yes. Taking good care of ourselves, I think. We didn't even we didn't even touch base on any of the the food intake aspects here, but but we could spend a whole nother time there. Well well, thank you very much. I'm just gonna tie up here. If you're interested about learning more about Aaron's books or events, we, as I mentioned before, the links will be in the episode notes. I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. If it was, please subscribe, drop a review, or share it with your friends and family. That's the best way to get it in the hands of those who may benefit. And if my daughters, Sienna and Sylvia, are listening, I just want you to know how proud I am of you, and I love you so much. Bye now.